Girls. 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 I'm not going to tell you something you don't already know. You've already had enough of that. But you know, like I know, life is too short, girls, for bad coffee. You want some sexy? You want to laugh? License to talk. License to talk is sponsored by Goodspeed Beverage Center. 2202 Seneca Street. They got seltzers, heavy beers, light beers. Stop in, quench your thirst at Goodspeed Beverage Center. First in Buffalo, Fireman owned and operated 391 Abbott Road custom t-shirts, custom hats. Get your custom gear at First in Buffalo. Mr. Submarine, 1977 South Park Avenue, serving South Buffalo since 1963. Lowest prices in town, try the ham sub. Vinyl Vibes, check out Vinyl Vibes on the gram at Vinyl Vibes Buffalo. Vinyl stickers, decals, custom designs created by our boy Quails at Vinyl Vibes. Charlie's Boatyard, they got the season off. 1111 Furman Boulevard, they'll be back at you with great fish fries, great service, and delicious drinks at Charlie's Boatyard. And of course, Dog Ears Bookstore, 688 Abbott Road. Don't get your coffee from Timmy when you can get it from Tommy. And uh, don't forget, we are listener-supported now, Marky. We are now on Patreon. All you got to do, click on our social media. It's $3 a month, new content. We have Stories from the Second Floor, the first movie. Edgewood to Hollywood, our second movie. And now our new movie created animation by Mark Barrett himself, A Natural Gas, starring Wilbur Fulton. Check it out. More to come. You never know what's going to come on the Patreon. Podcast is free. Check us out. $3. Just like buying a beer. You can't buy a beer. You can't tip a bartender. So help us out. All right, Marky. Episode 61. We have Bill Metzger's owner of Jeannie McCarthy's Old First Ward. What would you call it? A brewery? A pub? Yeah. Uh, technically, they call it a brew pub. It's a, it's a pub that uh, brews their own beer on site. Billy uh, joins us here today. Uh, he moved into Buffalo in 2007, grew up in New Jersey. When did you have the feeling you were going to get into this, being a, a beer taster, as they say? You know, probably not till. I mean, I was a beer drinker. You know, I think my first beer was a Colt 45 <laughs> when I was 16 <laughs> or so, which is, you know, not too young. Um, but I started... Uh, I, I joined the Peace Corps after college. I was a beer drinker in, in college, but for us, the big thing was, say, Molson Golden. That was our big beer, you know, and it was probably, we enjoyed the skunky nature of, of a green bottle beer, you know, more than anything else and thought we were cool. But uh, I started traveling. I joined the Peace Corps after college and uh, started traveling to different countries, and that's kind of when I <clears throat> started tasting and seeing different beers with different cultures, and and uh, that kind of turned into coming back to, uh, after that and and being subjected to some of the willingly of course uh, the <laughs> the english beers bass ale back in the day um and and just seeing flavor and enjoying flavor more in beer as i'm sure my palate developed um and then that um kind of a funny story that I've written a lot about, which is that <clears throat> we 
I had three friends. I was working in the school system, and I was actually a social work assistant for a couple of years because I was also trying to write, and so I just didn't. I felt that the teaching degree that I obtained was was taking so much time, and to be a really great teacher, I just didn't feel I had the time to do both, <clears throat> to seriously write and teach, um, at least at that time. And um, so I was doing a social work assistant job at, at a at a urban school in Syracuse and a friend of mine uh, one of the social worker in the school was a traveler he had been traveling quite a bit and when he heard that I had uh, that I had lived in Central America for three and a half years which is where I did my so uh, my um, Peace Corps work uh, he <clears throat> asked if I ever wanted to go back there because he, he and two other friends of his had traveled through um so this is a long story, and no, kind of we're great. getting we're getting yeah. to the, the part about the beer. <laughs> um, so he, you know, he asked if I travel. He, they had gone through Europe and part of the Middle East, and and he, he was like, you know, do you, you ever want to go back there? And I was like, well, I actually was just back there a year earlier, um, and and it was quite a change situation because it was in the uh, early '80s, and um, Ronald Reagan was the president, and one of his um, foreign policy. Um, moves was to combat communism in Central America, which meant um, basing a lot of troops in the country that I had been in the Peace Corps with, which was Honduras. And um, so I had gone there the year before, and it was just a changed situation. I had tried to actually get into Nicaragua, which was where they were um, trying to um, co create a counter-revolutionary force to the revolution there, and <clears throat> had found like all my friends were living in these villages you couldn't get into the country except for only one way which was where the truckers went through and so i kind of had known how things were going there and i said sure let's go down there you know there's a war going on but you know <laughs> i know a few things <laughs> how to get around so so we all uh went uh four of us we flew into san pedro sula which is the north coast of honduras in central america one of the countries and we started and we went by bus all the way through down to uh, San Jose, Costa Rica, and in doing so, we, you know, we were traveling, and there was just a political element down there at the time, and there were a lot of like, you know, witnesses for peace were there, and and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses had always been there, and and uh, I'm sure there was quite a few CIA agents because there was a you know this whole war, a war effort, and so. There were always people who was like, well, you know, why are you here? And, you know, we'd be like, well, we're just on vacation, you know, because it was a, a midwinter vacation. Was it midwinter or summer? I think it was a midwinter vacation this time. And so we're, we're like, well, you know, we're on vacation. And people just were like, you come here for vacation? I mean, you know, this, do you see the war? <laughs> There's all these soldiers around and they're stopping us and pulling us off the bus because we're like the strangers who may be, you know, causing problems down there because we might be some part of some force who knows unknown force anyway uh finally we were like you know we're just we're just here we just want to here to drink some beer you know meet people and they're like oh yeah okay and you know it doesn't it doesn't matter really what political side you're on you people like to drink beer you know everything from like the soldiers the goon soldiers that were with their machine guns that to right to the to the you know strongest revolutionary they're all like well let's go drink a beer <laughs> so we created this group called los testigos de cerveza which means the witnesses for beer and that just really worked in terms of you know diffusing any potential you know tense moments that we might have had in this in this zone and that's kind of after that i um 
you know, I f- we kind of everyone loved the idea. And they're like, oh, yeah, you guys are doing this. You're all you just running around drinking beer. That's a great thing to do. What a great idea. And uh, and so I was like, man, you know, I probably should learn a little more about beer. I'm <laughs> <laughs> proclaiming us as this group that <laughs> does. So I picked up uh, uh, a book that was kind of known as the Bible or the beginning of the craft beer uh, revolution, renaissance, whatever you want to call it, and, and all these new beers in it. It's written by Michael Jackson. He's a Yorkshireman who uh, was a newspaper reporter and had taken a strong interest in beer. And um, he wrote this book, The World Guide of Beer, and it just talked about all the, all his different um, <clears throat> all the different countries and their different beers and stuff. And it was just the beginning of things in the U.S. So like he mentioned, he only mentioned like two or three companies that were actually doing stuff here. Like Anchor Steam was one of the first. And Fritz Maytag, the founder from the Maytag family, actually had money. He was like seen as the godfather of craft beer. Anyway, um, I, t- I started reading about it and then I decided I needed to know more and I started home brewing. And that's kind of where I really, really learned about you know, how you make beer beyond just the fact that it's four ingredients or whatever. <clears throat> I did that for quite a while. And that's kind of how I just eased into, you know, both through travel and, and tasting and going to places. You know, we started to gear our, our voyages to, of this Testigos group to, to places that had good beer, you know. So we'd fly to the West Coast where the West Coast was where there was there were so much so many more breweries. And we'd fly into Portland and then, like, drive down the co- rent a car and drive all the way to san francisco and just stop at breweries all along the way how are you paying for all this um i was a teacher and i didn't really own i never really owned anything i just saved my money for summer and so it was like it, you know for many people it's as much about having the time and right. and so for me it was just like saving enough money to and you're and you're traveling our first travels were you know were relatively inexpensive because you know, I can remember one time we pulled into the border at, this is like during the war, in like 1986, I believe it was, and uh, we pull up to, to the border between Nicaragua and Honduras. And at the time, the United States was trying to uh, push the Nicaraguan revolutionary government to, you know, collapse by um, <clears throat> economic um, boycotts. And, well, beyond the war, there was an economic boycott, and they were buying, they were, they were, um, they were buying all these. Um, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the the currency. It was a the Nicaraguan currency, which is uh, names escapes me right now. But they were, they would buy them up, <clears throat> so they would take your dollars. So the dollars wouldn't get into Nicaragua because they were trying to starve them of dollars that they could use for for trade. And so um, we would like. I didn't, you know, we didn't really know this, but I came to the border and this guy's like giving me hundreds of bills for like a ten dollar bill, and so then we go and we'd have a steak dinner and beers and pound them. And it was like six dollars for four of us, you know. So, what, so. what was your draw to the Peace Corps? I. Um, I had been in college for four, four and a half years uh, in Oswego, and my my dad was a pilot, and um, he would always come home with these stories about things. There, I'd read these newspaper articles where he'd talk about these different countries, and so I just had an interest in that in in foreign countries. And then my senior year, uh, last year of college, I. I took a course called it was a geography of Africa course. I just needed certain. I was a science major, but um, uh, I, I needed a few um, electives, and 
I took this Geography of Africa course, and I was really interested, and the professor was just really good, and I was like, man, I... And I kind of had this wanderlust. I didn't know what I was going to do after college. I just had a bachelor's degree in, in, in a bachelor of arts in, in biology. And <clears throat> I didn't really have any set plan, as um, so many um, people who go to college don't. It's more about the party. <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, Oswego. University, okay. yeah, State University of Oswego. It was a bit of a, it was a good party school at yeah, that point. Yeah, it's a good too. party school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so I... Was all set. I, I, my friends were like, "Oh, you know, you're really, you're a friendly person. You're really open. I think you make perfect Peace Corps person. You know, just representing the U.S. and you're, you know, how to work with people and be flexible and all these skills that apparently I had. And so, um, I applied, and then I got a call. Like ah, it was a couple months, not even a couple months later, uh, and they were like, "Well, you know, we have a position in, in El Salvador right now. You could go." And and I was like, well, Okay, I said I, I kind of hope to go to Africa. Should I hold off and you know see what else comes up? And they're like, you should take the first one you can get. You'll be lucky to get one. You really? know, I'll say, yeah, that's what I said. I said okay. You know, later I found out that was kind of shaky, but in the end, it turned out to be wonderful because I learned I learned to speak fluent Spanish, which is probably the most useful language for me for you know Americans. So, um, <clears throat> so that, you know, then like two weeks later, they were like, oh, we got another, we got another job that's coming a month earlier, and that's in Honduras. So I said, well, I was just like, I'll go, I'm going, you know, just, you know, because I was pretty, I was finished with school, and uh, I was happy to, to go, and <clears throat> it turned out uh, the, uh, not a wiser decision, but the better decision, just because not knowing anything, because in the end, a civil war began in El Salvador while I was down there, and they moved all the Peace Corps out of uh, El Salvador and Guatemala and Nicaragua, and many of them actually ended up in Honduras, where I had been, because that was called at the time the Island of Peace, you know, the one country where there was not not the civil war going on. <clears throat> so I stayed, and it's a two-year commitment, but uh, I just found after like two years, I was also there a big soccer nation, and I was a soccer player. That's that was my sport, so it was great. I was learning a lot and playing a lot, and um, and uh, I just found after two years that I was really just starting to get some things done in terms of the school I was at. Um, we were rebuilding like school laboratories, and uh, and <clears throat> well, my part was in the school science laboratory, but there was there was a lot of money that had been put in after a hurricane uh, by the, Agency for International Development, and the stuff wasn't being used. So I, I was uh, doing that, and I found myself more, I probably accomplished more in the last year that I was there than the first two and a half, just because you get to know people in the city, and you get to, you know, they see that you're serious about being there a little while. It does, like, open up your eyes to the world then. Yeah, it's kind of funny. When you go into Peace Corps, they, you have these lessons, and they talk about cultural acclimatization and being sensitive, and there's this one game they play where, like, you're told, okay, your job is to, you know, trying to get as much money as you can. And then they tell this other group, oh, your job is to just be friends and, you know, make, you know, be, it's very important to come. And so they put you together and you're, we felt, I was on the money side and we're like, try to grab all this money. And then they tell you, you know, <laughs> that's not a very smart thing. So it's kind of an idea to say, look, you know, you got to be aware of your culture and blah, blah, blah. So it was pretty cool. And, and, uh, and, you know, but the funny thing was, I found coming back, more difficult to adjust because I had changed quite a bit in three and a half years and I was most of my friends were working jobs working their way up a ladder mm -hmm. um, 
married and raising families and stuff, I came back to, and I was somewhat radicalized because I was in the middle of what was this, you know, really an imperialist invasion and attempt to, you know, to change these countries' legitimate reform movements, and um, which we still see going on today with the immigration crisis, right? Oh. And it's the direct result of that, really, to, to many degrees. And um, so I just, you know, I just, my friends were, it was real, it was just weird being being back and listening to what was important to them, and to me it was really not. So I just decided to get into education because I, I yeah. just felt that would be a great way to change things. We had a guest previous that was you know in the peace corps and he ended up being a u.s diplomat it yeah. just changed his whole life you know right yep and i have two fr two of my closest friends one works for immigration services in the u.s she's work uh, she's about to retire in immigration for works for the immigration service and another one was he was a, a foreign service officer in europe and, and yeah. uh, some places it's pretty cool i just kind of contacted with mike uh, lately and it's just listen to what he did after we came back it's pretty impressive any uh, run-ins with the cartel? No, at that point, <clears throat> there they weren't. This was the late 1970s. It was still run by some kind of independent people, and of course, the military is heavily involved. And so, like in the last year I was there, 1979, in Honduras, started to become a transshipment point. And what they do is they clear out all the independent operators because I, I knew of a couple kind of obliquely. They never talked about it, but they ended up disappearing. Not necessarily killed, just they got out of the profession because it, it became bigger. When we went back, also, we uh, when I took my friends, one of the things I took them was out. There's three islands off of the coast, north coast of Honduras in, in the Caribbean Sea, or the Atlantic Ocean, <clears throat> the Bay Islands, they're called. And... We took this boat out there, and it was a pretty harrowing journey. You know, it's, it was it was pretty wild, but it was fun. Uh, but on the way back, no, nobody, none of my friends wanted to take a boat back because after the crazy, they're almost tipping over on the way over there. And so we flew back, and I mean, you just these guys were making their money ferrying, ferrying either drugs or or CIA op operatives or people around these these pilots because they just openly said that's how they were making their money. Wow. So, so we saw some of that, but never really to the dangerous level. I, I since then have driven through um, through Mexico all the way to San Jose twice, Costa Rica, and um, I don't know if I do that now because I think it's a little. T I think it's a, Mexico is a little rougher than it was. Yeah, in, and that was in the mid to late nineteen eighties. Yeah, <clears throat> traveling the world is going to be a hard thing to do. Well, you know, now, yeah. Without a doubt, I mean, I I've said that you know I'm this whole COVID pandemic and everything. I mean, I'll I'll get I'm not an anti-vaxxer or anything. I'll get around to it. I guess I'm careful, but if they were to tell me that I could <laughs> fly to England right now and drink Cascale at an open pub, I'd be like, stick me right now. You know, <laughs> I want because that's I want to travel. That's more than anything else. That's why I'd like to. How's the? <clears throat> what kind of beer are they drinking down in South America? They're drinking. In in this in Central America, which is um, five countries, and then South America is the of course the bigger continent. Um, both most of what's drunk is lagers, very somewhat similar to ours, maybe a little rougher, maybe not as light, a little more heavy bodied, but they're nothing great. And they and they don't most of the countries 
don't have a big enough middle class because it's really a middle class drink in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. Craft beer, I mean, they're expensive, you know. So you, you know, you're paying six dollars a pint, people for something like that's a little high, for someone who is really just using it as an alcohol delivery device and they can get it for two dollars. That's what they're gonna do. And what were you learning? Like, like I, I mean, is there like a big thing for ingredient that's from that place that would be specific? The beers down in, in Latin America um, are not that great. There's a few here and there, but the reality is that they're just pretty mediocre. They're at a low, uh, they're a, a younger age in the craft beer side. In addition to that, because I've traveled quite a bit to Costa Rica since then and, and tried all the microbreweries down there and there's a couple that are doing some pretty interesting stuff with sours and there was one there was one place in in chile that had a great uh, bavarian vice beer but in general the in most of the ingredients come from the north and so they um they're old hops yeah. hops is a northern mostly a northern grown crop with the exception of australia and new zealand they grow a lot of hops there some really good very mm. very good varieties but uh what i found is that you know, I almost would drink, you know, like almost like a Corona-like beer with lime in it, just to, yeah, you know, for to get a good buzz or try drink the local, the local, yeah, drink, you know, the 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 uh, mojito or whatever they would they make. So, in your travels, where was the where's the best beer? Where is it? I think um, depending on drinkability, I think Germany, and I think Germany has the best beer culture. Uh, <clears throat> the Czech Republic, which. You know, at one point was part of Germany and caused the World War <laughs> because of it. What went on there is also, you know, there, there. That's Bohemia includes Bohemia, and that's a huge beer beer region. But um, the German beer culture is just amazing, um, especially in Bavaria and the in the lower parts of it. Um, <clears throat> but you know, England is wonderful. I mean, I love Cask Ale, the, you know, real ale. It's just a it's just a wonderful drinkable thing, and then. I think for many, many years, my favorite was by far was Belgium because of the diversity they have. They have this enormous, they, they not only do the, you know, in Germany, there's, you know, the Reinheitsgebot, which is a law that was created really to prevent, um, you know, people from putting all sorts of chemicals and poisons in beers. That's what originally came out, but it, it stated that you could only have four ingredients in beer, and that's malt or grain, hops, water, and yeast. And so the Germans, they love their beer and they drink a lot of it and they're great fresh beers. But they, but in Belgium, they can use fruit. They can use all sorts of different things. So they, you know, they have this other beer culture that's really pretty amazing yeah. in terms of its diversity of flavors. Best beer I ever drank was in Germany, Putengammer. Okay, Putengammer. We drank, I mean, it was a bunch of South Buffalo guys. Okay. Went over there for a hockey tournament and we didn't get hung over off of it. Why is right. that? Well, <clears throat> I can't say from a scientific point of view, but what I can say is that, and this comes right from the Brewers Association, which is a, um, a Colorado-based organization that <clears throat> promotes craft beer, is that there are at last count, maybe more now, I don't know, but when I remember reading this article, there were like 21 different um, chemicals that were allowed the fda allowed to put in beer they were preservatives they were um clarification agents uh, uh, they were um foam enhancers things that um you know that are chemicals and some people as we know have all sorts of allergies to things or bad reactions to things so 
is that the reason? I, I, I can't say. I don't. I just don't drink um, that, you know, factory or mega brew beer much anymore. Um, but I've heard people say, they get, you know, this gives them a headache or bug, bug gives them a headache. But Everybody says bud. Yeah, yeah, bud and right? blue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I don't know if that's it. I'm not saying, you know, I, I know that our beers, we're, you know, we use, I mean, we use some fruit in our beer, but generally they're just the basic four ingredients. And that's what we use. And um, I think freshness is also big. You know, they're trying to preserve the product. And as we know, I think, and as we've seen, the more you process <clears throat> things, food and drink, the, you know, the, for me, the quality goes down um, simply because of that processing. I mean, I try not to eat a lot of processed food, too. I did yeah. eat a couple too many uh, Doritos last night when the <laughs> bills were getting <laughs> walloped. But <laughs> yeah, you're just stress eating. Like, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> now, now, one thing I, uh, Sorry about the voice too. Yeah. I was screaming Tell yesterday. Yeah, so, okay. um, irate uh, customer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the culture over there—they train kids at twelve years old to drink, and I seen this mm -hmm. beer with Seven Up in it. Yep. Have you mm -hmm. seen that? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, the, we met this. Uh, there's a brewer. He's actually Eric. He's actually from Wyoming. And he's over there, and he's working working in one of the very successful brewery that is in southern Bavaria, very close to the Austrian border. And I met him on my first voyage after reading Michael Jackson this book, and being I saw how enchanted he was with with Belgian beers. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go over there for a week, and I'm just going to go around Belgium. And so I did, and this was before a lot of the a lot of people really hooked on to things in the U.S. So I was really one of the earlier people to travel around and, and visit these breweries. So I was welcomed because people were like, oh, yeah, you know, we've been doing this for centuries and yeah. <laughs> you're interested, you know? So so I went to this brewery. Um, I went to a brewery in uh, Rosalar, um, and I'll, the name will come to me soon, but uh, it, they, brew, they, they were one of these Belgian breweries that did a very unique kind of thing, and they soured their beer in these giant, what they call fooders, they're these huge... Um, um, I don't think they're oak, oak or cedar. I think they were cedar casks, and there was um, this. There's a their yeast was um, a bit of wild. It had a little bit of wild in it, so it gave you this real sour taste. So I go to this brewery, and I, you know, I I just come in there without really announcements, you uh, know, without setting up an appointment or anything, which you'd have to do today. And I I just said, oh, you know, America, I'm writing about beer, and I, you know, I had a couple of art uh, art. Uh, newspapers that I'd written for and showed them the articles and they're like, well, let's give you a tour. And so I took this tour and, um, well, you know, showed me all the stuff and told me a couple secrets. It was pretty cool. You know, they're telling me, don't tell anybody this, but, you know, we do this and that. And so then they go, well, you know, why don't you go into the uh, tasting room? Because that's what everybody wants to go to the tasting room, right? <laughs> you know, even if it's like the cores and outside yeah. of Colorado, right? Let's go to the tasting room. So, um, uh, I go in there and there's a school, a class school, students in there. They're all drinking. <laughs> I'm like, wow, man, this is great. And I met this guy who was there too. It was Eric. And he was over there and he was brewing in Belgium at the time. Now he's in Germany. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, come on over. I, I, I've been brewing here. You know, I started by washing kegs. You know, I went and, uh, and uh, I'm going to the, the German, uh, uh, one of the Dolmans, um, I think it was Dolmans. Uh, 
anyway, he was going to one of the schools over there. And um, so since then, we've, you know, visited him three different times at three, to, you know, he's, he switched jobs and now he's at this, this one, one brewery, Schoenrammer, but um, it just, uh, it, it was, you know, it's just beer, uh, to get back to your question, is really, a, it's much more, it's not like this taboo thing that you, <laughs> we we did even when I was young, sixteen. You know, sneaking. You know, you mm-hmm. can't. My father prohibited me from hanging out with this one guy because we <laughs> drunk and I threw up all night and whatever. You know, it's like it's bad news. You know, so uh, there's not that whole. You know, it's treated as more of a product that's not shunned as much, and also as part of uh, food. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What I like, you know, it's just part of a meal, and so yeah. I mean, kids. You know, they give them a little beer. To, I mean. Soda's too sweet anyway, so you got to do something. Yeah. <laughs> well, up, what you know. I noticed over there is because of that, they don't have any drug problems over there. And believe me, I mean, I was, I'm a, I'll was i be honest, right. I was looking for a doobie over there. I was, yeah. I was, yeah. I was there for 10 days. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 oh, no, no. Really? Oh, no. We, yeah. this is why. And, and they explained it to me. Yeah. And I embraced the culture both times. Mm-hmm. I actually had a, a, a great ale up at the eagle's nest hitler's oh, eagles wow. nest. yeah i've heard i've heard people go there yeah, yeah you, you can't get up there yeah only i think it's three four months a year okay because of the snow but i'm sitting there having a beer like this yeah. is where this right. guy held court yeah and now yeah. it's like a tourist attraction right. with, yeah. with, yeah. with trap yeah. doors and shit <laughs> maybe we'll have a mar-a-lago tourist resort someday yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so you're keeping yeah. beer your hobby while you're teaching. That's what you're saying. You're, yeah, you're that's right. I was te- and- I was teaching and uh, and um, I started. I was I was writing. I was writing. Yeah, fiction. We got your five books in front of us right. here, and Maybe I was go. writing all, a, a lot of fiction, and um, I wasn't having a great lot of success. I don't find I'm not a really good sales a sales pitch is so essential. I was just was reading this morning. I decided to get off my ass and try to you know promote a couple of things that i'm working on now but anyway it's just you really have to pitch it everything is you know it's really selling yourself which i've just never been that good at and so um so i was unsuccessful at the at, the, at this so far at, i had been unsuccessful at fiction and i started home brewing and then I, I found these magazines on home brewing zymergy american brewer uh, the new brewer and i was like you know, I'm gonna start writing some stuff for to them, and then I they were like, "Oh yeah," like one of the. It's funny, one of the first ones is a new brewer, and I I promoted a sto- the story pitch. Who's I don't even remember what the pitch was, but in it I mentioned my qualifications as one of the founding members of Los Testigos de Cerveza, this beer writing <laughs> group, right? Well, the editor and her husband, who did photography, had traveled through Nicaragua. And they're oh, like, no way. oh, man. <laughs> she, she said, well, we don't really like your story, but would you write a piece on this, Los Testigos de Cerveza yeah. stuff, right? So I was like, okay. So I kind of I followed what was successful, you know, and that's kind of how I, I got into <clears throat> that side of things and started writing. And so then... Um, after doing that and writing for um, a couple different uh, periodicals, I moved to Texas in 1992, and there was nothing down there. At that time, uh, Texas had—so <clears throat> one of the things that happened after um, after Prohibition, quite, quite a while after Prohibition, was that the, the U.S. government didn't want breweries to turn—to uh, end up like it, the scene was in Europe— 
where the bre- the brewery was owned the means of production and they own they distributed distributed all the beer and they owned the pubs. So there was this monopolistic thing. So you would go to a, t- a pub in England, you could get a Bass product, but you couldn't get uh, a Double Diamond because they weren't the same company. So they, the pub was called the Bass Pub. This was a Double Diamond pub. So there, so <clears throat> what the U.S. Uh, laws uh, and there were all diff- the states uh, enacted these laws was they prohibited they they enacted what's called three tier legislation. What three tier legislation did was it um, prevented um, a company from owning common interests in the production, distribution, or and or um, retail sale. <clears throat> so you had to either make beer, you had to be a, a wholesaler, or you had to be a retailer, a bar. And so um, this prevented you know this monopolization of of the of the industry mm-hmm. of the. Of the the beer industry, in particular. So, what happened as a brew pubs when they first started opening in the 1980s <clears throat> was that they they couldn't make they couldn't sell their beer because it would have been three tier legislation would have prohibited that. So, obviously, California leads in many many things, and they led in changing laws that allowed what was then a brew pub, and then people and that's just started changing throughout the um, country because people. People really liked these places, and you know they, they didn't have a lot of um, uh, influence at first. Although now breweries have a lot more interest because there's so many of them, um, so they <clears throat> slowly changed. When I moved to Texas in 1991, I was writing these stories for these other papers. These na- some were national, and one was like a regional New England uh, beeriot- called a periodical. <laughs> and um, there wasn't anything. There wasn't any newspaper or anything like that down there in Texas. Because well, one of the reasons because it was still illegal because Texas uh, wholesalers was this owned by it was just marshaled by this guy with a reputation Mike McKinney it was like everybody was afraid of him you know <laughs> so he'd come and the wholesalers are very very powerful and you know even in federal government they're like the second largest contributor to uh, funding and and that's what I've been told don't take me yeah. <laughs> take my word for it. <laughs> After the NRA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they so I so I we got down there, but there were forty two states that had already legalized, you know, had done away with three three tier legislation or, or changed it enough to allow a place to manufacture beer and sell it, so you could have a brew pub like we do at Gene mm-hmm. McCarthy's. So uh, we. Uh, it was coming because everyone was changing it. And, you know, despite the power of the wholesalers who didn't want to have this, it was just obvious that, you know, Texans don't like to be embarrassed, you know, not being the first at everything. And they were like, well, yeah. the only ones left. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a lot of fun poking fun at it with our first issues, you know. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, you could get a great barbecue. You can go to a place and eat barbecue, but you can't drink you a beer. beer. Yeah. Mean, really? Yeah. You know, Texans like beer. So, um, so uh, that kind of... I and I was home brewing still, and I hooked up with a couple other home brewers. Uh, one of whom was a really, really superb artist. As a matter of fact, he's done a bunch of this stuff. I, you know, he did those covers, wow. he did that cover. He did he did all those covers, and he's done a lot of the illustrations in, throughout this book. Um, anyway, we started a newspaper down there, Southwest Brewing News, and you know, just kind of it was the original idea was look. We could start this newspaper. We write about all these places. We'll travel to them. We could just drink for free. Because right. <laughs> yeah. to write What about a great them. idea. It was. Yeah. yeah. It, it just kind of blossomed. You know, and then we approached like Sam Adams and they're like, you know, Boston Beer Company. And they're like, 
done. Here, here's a check. Even before we, our first paper wow. was paid for, but even before we got it printed because there was another bar owner at the Dog and Duck Pub and where we used to hang out in uh, Austin, Texas, where I lived. And, and he was like, here, here's a check for the first three issues. And so, we, you know, we, we walked in and every issue kind of paid for itself. Wow. And that's how it was for, we did that for 25 years, pretty much just paid for each issue as it came along. That's fascinating. So when do you <clears> think, <throat> I got to get up north. How does yeah. it happen where you, yeah. you come up here? Here? Yeah. Well, um, my son's mom, who I was living with at the time, uh, we she the reason we actually moved to Texas was she took a job the uh, the um, governor of Texas had just been, who had just been elected was Ann Richards um, she's well known in the industry and she um, recruited her former superintendent of schools in Syracuse to become the uh, Texas uh, commissioner of education um, <clears throat> Skip me you know he um, my um, son's mom she uh, my yeah, my son's mother, my baby mama. She, said, <laughs> <laughs> she she worked for him, and she he immediately recruited her. And she said to me, "Do you?" Uh, we were living in Syracuse at the time. I'd been there twelve years. So do you want to move? And I was I was really more interested in my writing my writing career. I was like I said, I was just doing social work assistant job. It was was not a great paying job, but it was something. Um, and um, I said, I can you know I can write from anywhere. So that's how we ended up moving to moving to Texas. Then. Um, our um the way i used to tell the story is so we so we uh, <laughs> so we got down there worked for three years ann richards lasted one one um term four-year term and george w bush uh challenged her and won the governorship mm. of texas and um he was just a, you know at the time he was very critical of the education department that actually made him become the education president but that's a whole other story, yeah. but she, but you know, and he hired some like a couple of religious zealots, and the board was the, the the state board was just it was just pretty not a good time for uh, progressive politics anyway. So she was she said I'm you know I'm gonna I'm, I'd like to move back to New York, and um, so she knew people in Buffalo and the the uh, superintendent of schools in Williamsville at the time actually offered her a job. So we moved back to New York. That's how we came back. <clears throat> we came from Syracuse down in three years in Texas and then back to Buffalo, Buffalo area. And you got a lot going on. You got you got all these papers. Are, has that developed yet? All these publications you're involved yeah, well, in? Yeah, at that point, we had just Southwest Brewing News, and that was it. And when I came back here, I was looking at the numbers from what I – because I was teaching down there still. Um, I was teaching like a bilingual program. I was actually an outreach person for uh, homeless students to try to keep them housed so they could come to school. So that's what I was doing at the time. And um, so it wasn't any great paying job. Um, Linda earned way more money than I did. And so it was like, all right, you know, let's do whatever you want to do. I'll, I can go along. And so when I moved back, I looked at kind of the numbers and I said, all right, from the from what was what it was looking like with the Southwest Brewing News, which is the first paper I started in '93, I could earn um, I could earn about as much if I owned my own newspaper. I could earn about as much in commissions um, as I'm earning uh, as a teacher, and uh, I wouldn't have health care, which I gave up uh, for 15 years. Uh, but that yeah, was never a big deal for me <laughs> at that point, you know. Yeah. So, so I uh, basically did the numbers and said, "All right, let's do that." So I I came back here and I started a second paper, 
and uh, it was called Great Lakes Brewing News because what I saw was this whole region and this whole kind of Great Lakes culture. And it involved the, the potential, I think, from a uh, economic viewpoint was cool because, it, you know, it's Detroit, it's Chicago, it's, you know, it's the mm. Upper Great Lakes, it's Ontario, Toronto. So there's all this sales potential for, for a beer newspaper. And so that's kind of why I came back here. And then... Um, so that was just that was the second paper I did. And it's funny because I talked to Michael Jackson, who I, by that time I had the, the, the beer famous beer writer, and I traveled a couple times with him. Took him around Texas once, and and uh, <clears throat> also went over to England and traveled with him over there. But he was like, you know, he saw America and he goes, Great Lakes. I mean, that's not a region. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a region, sort of, you know? yeah. And also, I saw the opportunity to go into Canada with this too, because it's a, yeah. the culture is beer culture is beer culture, and mm -hmm. it crosses borders. So that's kind of I started that, and then one of the other newspapers, Yankee Brunos, which had been around, and I used to write for. The owner had gotten his uh, law degree, and he didn't want him anything to do with the paper. There was a real um, leveling off in the mid 1990s when I moved back, of of the scene. And a lot of the uh, mainstream newspapers, like the Time, New York Times, and so we're calling this a big fad, you know, this is just a fad. And so, you know, people, we were losing ad revenue, this and that. And, mm -hmm. and so Don was like, oh, you know what, you, you should buy this from me. You, you know what you're doing, you know, because I had like two papers file. So, uh, so after negotiating with him for quite a while, I ended up with a third newspaper, Yankee Brew News, and then another newspaper went out of business down in the mid-Atlantic region, and um, a friend of mine, who, who one of my first editors, said, hey, you know, you should do a paper down here. And I said, well, <laughs> if you were in with me, you know, you helped me, because he was, you know, he lived there. I'm up here. Because I was always worried if, you know, these are regional papers, and if, you, you know, people want something more local. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so here I am in New York. You know, my my West Coast editor when I was doing North of the Prunes, he always introduced me when we do the award ceremony every year. Well, our our uh, publisher from New York is here. You know, uh, <laughs> like I was coming from the big publisher from New York City, right? <laughs> yeah. like, come on, really? Can't you say Buffalo? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So which which yeah. one of these papers is your baby? Like what? Which one do you? The, the original one was Southwest. I, the, yeah. But I, the reason I like that too was because it, if the, the, there's a big cultural difference, I think in the U.S. Like the West Westerners are just more open. You know, the, New England, you know, and the East Coast is older. And Europe is even older, and there's kind of you know there's this you know memory you know historic memory, and out in the West they don't have as much of that, so they're open and and, and there's good things and there're bad things about that, but they're but they're really open to things. And so when I went down there, it was like great because we could just like say what we wanted to say, you know, we weren't as worried about you know saying, and that's kind of how Southwest I really liked it because I would just write these stories, these testigos, these surveys of stories about travel in different places and just you know say whatever I wanted to say, you know, and 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 so that in that sense that that was it. The the, the Great Lakes paper, which was one of the two healthy ones by the end was was good because I was living here so you know you could people would be like you know you you would where you live was really important because you were sitting in bar stools and you could sell ads that way so if you looked at the if you looked at the newspaper well Chicago is a bigger city than Buffalo but I had you know maybe five or six ads from from Chicago I had 20 ads in Buffalo because they saw me all the time, right? And they yeah. knew me. I says, you know, there's Bill again. Yeah, well, th yeah, here's $300 every two months, blah, blah, blah. So so that that kind of, <clears throat> I really liked that in the sense that, you know, that I, that was mine. I solely owned that newspaper. Mm -hmm. 
So, and then, you know, but Yankee had written for, you know, and then the other ones I, I just I just opened up as opportunity came. One, one I tried one in the Mississippi Valley, and it didn't fail because the guy, the partner I wanted in, he was Doc. He was really a beer lover and traveled all over and was a good talker. But once he realized that ad sales is work, yeah. <laughs> he decided to just it go is. back to drinking. That's where we're at now. Right? Yeah. We're yeah. having a real well, bad time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. yeah. It's... it's, it's uh, Oh, that's awesome, though. I mean, you know, people don't sometimes, like, realize, like, when you start something, like, how much you're into it, man. Mm -hmm. Like, and it, like, hurts you and, you know, all that stuff. Like, you get really emotional about things that you start. Like, if you're selling a house and you're really excited, you sold a house. It's like, but you didn't build the house. You know, you're selling the car and you sold the car. Congratulations, you did it, but you didn't build the car. You know, like, when you have something that, like, wouldn't be there without you, you know, it really is, like, something close to you. Oh, you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we talk about the papers. Let's get let's get to this first. Yeah. So Bill Markey writes a satire. In what newspaper did you write? Great Lakes Brewing News. In Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. And that's the hop-in was uh, featured in Great Lakes? Yep. Or the brew news? Yep, yep. Great Lakes. Great Lakes, yep. okay. They were all brewing newspapers. That was like the umbrella. So Great Lakes Brewing News, Southwest Brewing News, Northwest Brewing News. They were, that's okay. their regional. Mm-hmm. So I, I read <clears throat> this when it came out. Mm-hmm. And immediately... I say, well, this is a joke. This is satire. Mm-hmm. How, and I don't want to say say they tried to cancel you, but they did. Yeah, no, oh, definitely. And, they went after my ad base. Yeah, and yeah. tell us a little about about the article and what happened after that. Sure. So um, <clears throat> it was called uh, hopscotching in hop hopscotching or what's it something in in Scotland. It was basically a. I used to. We'd travel through Europe or wherever else, and then I would, or we did, I did one on Cuba, you know, when we snuck in through the Canada. And, um, <clears throat> and basically, it was this story of just whoever was on the voyage and what went on, and it was just kind of beer related. And, like, I remember the Forbes lo- f- woman, she didn't ever have got it. She said, oh, I don't know what this is all about, but. Right. As soon as she sent a scandal, she found it. <laughs> she went and read it. But, but the bottom line is there was this, there were stories that were just, I I didn't want the papers to just only you know be, you know, you know this is how you brew a beer. These are recipes, and you know this is the news and everything. I wanted to put some more, a cultural stuff in there, right about <clears throat> places we've visited and stuff like that. So I'd been writing for quite a while these stories, the Testigos de Cerveza, and um, so I wrote one after a. A voyage to Scotland, um, and it was um, normally I didn't. I actually never really put my byline in there, and <clears throat> many times I would have a uh, like an intro saying uh, that <clears throat> you know this is a you know introducing the Testigos and what they do and stuff, and and, and you know in, in hindsight. <laughs> which is everything i you know i i see where the mistakes i made um because at the last minute my my proofreader was like hey, do you want to put your name on this i'm like yeah sure put your name on this and i also wrote it in the first person which is i didn't <laughs> usually do so you know looking back i'm like yeah i can see how people thought this was me writing this article whereas it was just i mean if and actually if they read the whole thing <clears throat> they would see that this character that was such this odious character that I had occupied as the first person writer um, was like trashed by the end of the article. You know, I mean, we were, we, it was kind of to pick, pick fun at him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Was, uh, and so, but 
you know, as any good storyteller knows, you want to start by grabbing people, right? And so totally, I, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what I did. But I grabbed them, you know, and I just also was a, a part of the times, you know. And, and uh, you know, my my son's mother told me many times, "You're going to get in trouble one of these days," you know. Yeah. <laughs> and came back and said, "I told you so." But like, <laughs> but, people didn't know that you wrote fiction. They didn't know you right. probably wrote this stuff, yeah, like right. so other books and that's right. things like that. Yeah, that's right. And that's kind of the thing. I, people who knew who, people who knew me were like, you know, would just say, "Oh yeah, it's just, you know, he's being a wise guy again and telling the story and you know and and um creating characters and everything, but most people, you know, we were printing 30, 40,000 copies of this and they were distributed to brew pubs across um Canada, uh, the Great Lakes side, uh, areas of Canada and, and the U.S. states, and so people were reading this, and you know the the internet has this become this. Everyone, you know, has a voice, and, and it's I'm all for democracy and voices, but it's like some you know feel people feel really strong, and it amplifies these voices. I mean, there's no moderator, and suddenly this story blew up and people were like just sending me these notes cancel my you know we don't want this paper we burned it oh, <laughs> burned the paper so i had a couple of people that wanted they called me and said they wanted me to do a podcast and talk about this what was happening and how this is how ridiculous this was but at that time i was just like you know what i was just getting hammered and then the other thing that a lot of people did or some people did was they called every single even my own pub they called every single app advertiser and said do you have you read this have you seen this are you going to support this you need to cancel your ads now and blah 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 so everyone panicked you know all these advertisers i had locally with the exception of like two that i know um <clears throat> panicked and said oh, we can't you know we got to cancel our ad for now you know wow. and so i was like the great lakes was one of the two papers that was very successful economically so i was like okay down to one i'm like you know what it's just i've done it for 22 years i don't you know, I've, in many ways, it was an inattention to detail on my point for not like getting those things in the article indicating that I look back at it and, you know, I should have said something in here about this being a fictional representation, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't. And so I was just portrayed as this, like I said, this misogynist who yeah, <laughs> yeah. everything that was really that I was, that what I was trying to poke fun at. And so, and even when, uh, you know, I talked to the, the newspaper reporter, the Buffalo News reporter called, and he didn't get it, of course. And all he did was talk to people and use information. It's so easy to, you know, show, you know, snippets, these terrible lines and create this, um, <clears throat> create this portrait of someone. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't talk to a single person that knew me. He talked to me. You know, yeah. at least, but yeah. and but it had, it blew up so much. People were like, "What the hell's going on?" Everyone, blah blah blah, and they're all panicking. And so I was just like, "You know what? I don't I don't really need this anymore. I've yeah. done I've done twenty five years of it. It was fun. I loved it. I love I love the industry. It had changed. It has changed. It's changed. Most of the people yeah. that um that I would I because I still worked a beer um the brewery cir beer festival circuit and I would sell T shirts there. And at the same time, I would uh, I would go to like Michigan and I would sell. A thousand, two thousand dollars worth of T-shirts that I had made, all these different beer T-shirts, uh, clever ones like the periodic table or the beer bitch or all these mm -hmm. different ones that people loved, 
And then I would buy kegs while I was there with the money that I got from that. I'd drive back and I would sell the kegs here and I would pay my gas money. And then I was also showing my face and, you know, doing ad sales the whole time. So it was kind of this whole linkage. and Making I, connections. I, and, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, just getting your face out there, which is really what sales is about. And knowing, getting, getting to know more people, networking, get people convinced and talking about what you do. And, and uh, you know, we <clears throat> the papers hit at the right time when there was this growth. So I really felt proud about the fact that we were a big uh, promotional source for craft beer but I, in the recent festivals that I'd gone to there were fewer and fewer owners fewer and fewer people of my age that you know that they, they were retiring or they just you know they had people doing the sales for them at the beer so you, you didn't even couldn't even talk to decision makers you were talking to people just pouring beer you know so that had kind of died and, and it had changed to become you know a different industry and, and it's just what industry is mature you know yeah. when we we were I I I feel, um, you know, honored that I was part of that, that excitement part of things when it was really growing and going. And we were, the, the enemies were like the people, that, like the, the Budweiser, yeah. you know, the people that were just, try, you know, trying to stamp down these little guys. And we were like these little guys trying to, you know, brew a quality product. And give yourself a voice. <clears throat> and, yeah, and yeah, and fight. That. And now, yeah. they're you know, they're all screaming. Now everybody has stuff. a voice. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how people's judgment get clouded about people. Like mm -hmm. you don't even meet them, and like we're like, yeah, you know, it's good for us to go and sit in front of people and mm -hmm. talk to them because, yeah. you know, it, if you did that more, you That's probably right. wouldn't say, oh, oh yeah. this guy's that, or exactly, this guy's yeah, that. it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's I, easy I know to type I something on your computer, when yeah, yeah. or whatever, but you know, <laughs> meet the person and and you know, <laughs> see, talk to them, at least give them a chance to respond. But, yeah, you know, it's just you know, so it was kind of a maelstrom of uh, you know, my partner panicked because he's so sensitive, you know, and I was just like, look, why don't you just take the papers? They're yours. I don't want anything for him. You do whatever you want. You can even, and I told that to my editors. I said, "Look, it makes no sense for me to stay in there. Uh, you know, uh, you know, mm -hmm. my I, people are just going to be afraid. And so, if you want to do something, I will give all the help out that you want to try to keep it going or not. If you, because a couple of them said they wanted to keep them going." then they realized how hard it is yeah. to sell ads. I mean, having all those. Publish it to put the money up in front and say, yeah. okay, you know, I better get some money. And you now. had, like, resources. So, like, it, if you had something that was in, like, a paper and you are like, well, this will pertain to this, too. Like, were you, like, taking articles, putting them in all different of the newspapers and, like, you know one, what I mean? One of the things I tried to do, really, was keep everyone, keep each one independent. Because, like, I had one Canadian writer, Ian Bowering. He's a great guy. He's a funny guy. All the Canadians call him the malevolent dwarf, <laughs> but he's a he's a he's a great guy, and he would write. He wrote this piece. Still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, that um, was really funny. It was called it was called the Gi Jolly Giant, and he made fun of the big brewers. You know, he just like trashed this. You know, the ridiculous beers that Molson would come out with, for mm -hmm. example, or you know, any whoever, any re would reveal in the stories. You know, uh, you know who they're, they're a part of this. You know, it was it was good information. It was quite quite humorous, and he wanted me to run it in all the papers, and it was good enough too. But I just felt each region should have its own separate mm -hmm. writer. So it was rare. I think there was one time when I wrote a um, editorial that I pushed in all the papers, and it was really about my. I had really strong feelings about uh, Pilsner beers, which is my favorite style, mm -hmm. and how you know they had. They had to reach. They had to get better. You know that people were making them to imitate Anheuser Busch. You're not going to beat Anheuser Busch. They they have fantastic quality control. They know exactly what they're making. Yeah, they do it the same all the time. It's like trying to 
compete against McDonald's and hamburgers. Why are you doing it, right? Yeah. yeah. And, but there are great pilsners out there. And having traveled in Germany and drinking some of them, I was like, mm. man, this is what I want to drink right? yeah. back home. Yeah. So that's what that's what we do down at G. McCarthy's. Mm. We we make a lot of lagers, <clears throat> and we're really proud of that. And that's one of our one of our best shows. They're very very drinkable. I find you know lager beers are more drinkable than those giant IPAs. And I love IPAs. We've had competition and everything, but man, you. You can only drink so many of those. Yeah. yeah. Knocked out. Liquid heroin sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about McCarthy's. I, <clears throat> yeah. I knew Jeannie. <clears throat> Jeannie was a great man, a family. Yeah. I, <clears throat> knows my family. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of roots there in the OFW. Sure. Um, talk about how you, it came yeah. to be. Yeah, you're in Nicaragua, Nicaragua. and then you, you <laughs> yeah. plant yeah. your seeds at the ward. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? Exactly. And I didn't know anything about the Ilfers Ward until I bought that building, you know, and, and, and came to, and then all of a sudden I was like in this neighborhood. I may had come down a couple times to check what it was like in the area before I bought the building, talked to a couple of police officers. And so I get, yeah, so I move in there and, then, you know, I, I just, I didn't know anything about the neighborhood. I didn't know anything about genies. I, you know, I didn't know any, all this history. And so I started coming down there you know and like tuesday nights vinny worked so i would go down there and he, he you know and he was of course uh what genie's son-in-law so you know i just kind of learned a little about the history and everything but i never really wanted to be a bar owner i was a newspaper person that's what i like doing you know i, I was media and and uh <clears throat> but at the same time i i had also traveled not just in, um, in Europe uh, where, you know, beer originated, but also in the U.S. and, and seen all these different brew pubs and what, how they were successful and not. And so <clears throat> one, of the, uh, one of the guys I knew uh, was the head brewer at Breckenridge back in 1995 when they opened. Didn't, they didn't last very long, uh, but um, I'd see him at uh, some of the a better beer bars and he always bemoaned his um six-figure corporate job <laughs> with uh, as a pharmaceutical rep right and said he wanted to get back he hated the corporation blah 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 he wanted to get back to brewing that's what he wanted to do so i was not interested in that but by that time i i was part of the neighborhood I, you know i as much as i could be i was still traveling so much too at the same time because i was going to all these beer festivals and bootlegging beer all over the place and you know, started taking it to new york city and back it was uh, i had a close friend who was who was selling a lot of stuff down there because it was new york was slow to this movement and so they so they had a couple of really cool beer bars that opened up and they were just dying for stuff <clears throat> that i could bring from the midwest um anyway um so i didn't know the neighborhood that well uh, but I, you know, I knew about genies, and then once we, once you open a business in in the neighborhood, and, and my the newspaper business was, it was like two or three people that we would put out, and all of our writers are across the country, mm -hmm. uh, editors, everyone is across the country, salespeople. So you're not, it's not like you have this big business. It was, it was the, the doors were locked. I mean, because you know, except for our employees, you, there was nothing to come in and sell or anything. So, um, <clears throat> so once you, but once we, once. Um, Matt, my business partner, who was a brewer at Breckenridge, uh, you know, claimed, claimed he wanted to start brewing beer again and, and do that. Um, Gerhardt had the owner after Genie's, who had bought it from Genie's. He bought Genie's in 2006. Genie was still alive, so I got to meet him a couple times in 2007. I think he died somewhere in 2007, 2008. Yeah. But I had met him a few times in the bar. And, um, and um, so I, uh, so, in 2012, Gerhardt, 
he had been pressuring me for a couple of years. Like, you know, I, he didn't. He's not. He's a building flipper. That's what he does. Yeah. He buys places, fixes them up, or just or got them and sells. And it's kind of what he did with with the building that I live in. And um, <clears throat> he was so he and his sister was working the marsh. She didn't like it, so he was just like, I got to get out of this. So he t- he's t- working me over because you know beer bill, you know all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to own a bar. You know, I just I don't. You know, I've seen. Yeah. What it's, I've seen other bar owners. <laughs> I don't know if you like that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So so anyway, uh, when Matt said he wanted, he was interested in brewing. I said, all right, well, then I got a place. And so we bought um, we bought the bar, uh, you know, and um, that's when I really started to become aware of the First Ward as a community because people would come in. And, and I always tell Garrett, I thank him because I said, you were the guy that, was not genie, you know. <laughs> he took he took the beating, you know. And so, oh yeah, yeah for oh, sure. Yeah. Right? yeah, he did. He did sell. I, I felt bad for place. him yeah. for a little while. Right, I know. And they, they even tried to keep the family around, mm-hmm. like transition it. That's right. Which yep. I thought was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, and they the family would stick up for whatever they did. Mm-hmm. And I always respected that yes. in the family. Yep. Yeah, yep. they did. They were great. They still love. Mary still comes in now. Yeah. <clears throat> and Vinny works with us. They're great. You know, they come in all the time. We had a birthday. I thought we could make a real big. Celebration. I'm I'm one for. I don't want to do Cinco de Mayo and Christmas and you know, Halloween and all that shit. I want to do like, you know, unique things like our Hop Festival, which of course we probably won't have because February is still pandemic yeah. month. But yeah. um, I wanted to do Mary's birthday. You know? <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Wouldn't that be? I mean, yeah. you know, she's getting older. You know, you could celebrate her, and people could come in and they could tell stories. Yeah. About so we did we did a, like a mini one last time. We just had a big meal for her and um, <clears throat> and all of her. Uh, family came and stuff like that but it's great yeah so they are they're 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 great and and you just we to get back to like Gerhard, i just told him i said you know you you weren't genie but because i can remember when we first brought the place we had people come back in if that were in the neighborhood i didn't come here but you know what you know i'm glad you guys bought this you know and you know, like we had to get rid of that Gerhardt guy. <laughs> but, oh man! I mean, he put a new ceiling. He put the yeah, ceiling beautiful. Right. He put a floor in. He put a back end on. He did a lot of stuff to rescue that place because it was falling apart. Let's yeah, talk we need about to have him <clears throat> on this because yeah, we need we're to gonna have take to talk away the clouded judgment. Yeah, 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 he can, yeah, 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 and he'll talk. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I think I can. Talk. He can talk. Yeah. Man. And I still pay him, uh, you know, mortgage checks for the building that I own. Well, I just bought him out of that, but for the coffee shop, because um, he beat me to the punch on that one. But um, so I had him. <laughs> he upscaled. He said, "Here, I'll sell it to you." Yeah, what a flipper. <laughs> anyway, he's, he he talks, you know. So I see him all the time. Like I got to see yeah. him once a month for oh, checks, that's great. right? So because I say I make him come down to get it, you know. I wonder if anybody yep, was yep, around yep. for Emmy Fitzgerald. Oh. Yeah, he was in there every day. Really? Yeah. Well, back in the day, I don't know. I, I guess the brothers, the he McCarthy brothers, that they got into a fight. One opened up another bar, and there's like a whole thing. Yeah, about that's it. right. Yeah, you know? there is. I've heard a lot, and then I know that uh, I know both through, through Vinny and through Gerhardt that at one point, Jeannie had actually just recently, um, Vinny told me this great story that you, you probably should get permission to <laughs> to publish it from him because. I, but it was pretty wild because I guess one of there were t- two brothers. There, well, Joe McCarthy was the guy that ran the ran the show down there, and then Jeannie, and then I don't know the other name of the other guy were there. But Jeannie did all the work. He and Mary ran the place, you know, and, and Vinny helped and blah blah blah. And then when they went to sell the place, this other brother whose name I don't know came and said, "Well, I own part of that," and they were like. <clears throat> 
well, you haven't done anything in the entire time. You never even lifted a keg. You haven't done this and that. Well, I still, I, I, I'm an owner. I'm, I expect some money, right? And so <laughs> and he tells me this story how apparently, um, so then he said he had, they had to get a lawyer. So they got a lawyer, and the lawyer did a little digging and found out that this guy who was making tons of money on other things, which is what really was annoying because he was very wealthy. He didn't need the money, mm -hmm. right? But he was going to get money out of the sale. Well, they found out that he hadn't filed taxes in like years. Oh, and they said, and and he said, <laughs> and he said he went to him and said, okay, yeah, or maybe I think he had his lawyer call him or something. He said, yeah, you know, all right, you're gonna, we're gonna give you your money, but you know, we're also gonna, you know, we're also gonna report this sale to the IRS and blah, blah, blah. He went on and he just went, okay, Gone. got rid of. Him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's losing Great. his cheating status because there's not too many of those buyers left anymore. Like yep. in the middle of a neighborhood, right. like we're yep. like, yeah, I'm going yep. to the store. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Two hours later, hey, what was that you wanted? Yeah. I forgot the bread. Yeah, they they say about uh, a guy I know. He goes to the store. For bread, one slice at a time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Let's, That's a lot of pints. <laughs> let's talk about the neighborhood okay. on how you were accepted. Because I, I've talked to some people in the ward, and they're mm -hmm. like, well, it's yeah. not genie. Yeah. This guy sold yeah. out. Yeah. He sold yeah. us out. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I always look at him. I go, dude, this place is great. The, yeah. I love the drive through mm -hmm. patio window. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, the things you've done there are great. Yeah. But talk to us about that. Were you... Were you having troubles with any of the neighborhood guys there? I, I'm sure, but I think uh, this is something I learned from watching uh, uh, my son's mother. Uh, she was a, a building administrator in, in city schools, and she would come in. And what I what I learned watching her, she was very good and uh, very well liked. Was she would get the majority of staff on her side, and there's always detractors, mm -hmm. and so it really becomes getting that majority. And then the detractors are marginalized. I saw that happen in schools where she worked, and it was great. And and most, you know, a lot of times detractors are just saying anything they are. A lot of times they have legitimate voices. I get it, you know. Yeah. So you so you listen to them. But you know, the if things are going in the right direction, you're good. And for, for us, we feel pretty proud that the majority of people have been happy with what we've done. We've kept it alive for one. You know, sure. Vinny will tell us Absolutely. that. I mean, you know, it was you know. Because Garrett will tell you, it was it was really hurting when he took it over. So you know, it could have not lasted. And then, you know, later they would come to say, "Well, if I known he was going to buy it, I would have I would have put it." Oh yeah, in, you know, I've at, heard that afterwards, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Where were you? You know, I mean, he yeah. he had he dealt with a lot of different things. So so I mean, I I don't hear a lot of that. Maybe it's like the brewer; nobody's afraid to criticize his beer. I don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, but most people are are pretty happy. We and we. We feel that we still get a decent um, crowd of um, <clears throat> Bud Blue drinkers, Bud Light Blue Light drinkers that mm. are coming in and they still feel pretty comfortable. And at the same time, we've um, and so and some of the older people. And at the same time, we've brought in the craft beer, some craft beer lovers and stuff. And so that you know, we have a real diverse crowd, and it's 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 so it's prevented it from becoming like a you know more of a kids bar, mm. and um, you know, drunk palace, and it's also thriving. And so, you know, well, until the pandemic hit, it was thriving. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully we'll get back to that. I think yeah. people are going to mob it once we <laughs> yeah. get through this. But stuff, like you so. said, you made it a part of your food. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, you go and experience it. 
That's right. Yeah, and people. That's right. And and we get people come in and they say, "Oh, my grandfather, I came in here when I was little, and my grandfather, yeah. you know, or or that the, the whole St. Patty's month that you know we have people come in from the suburbs, you know, that they come once a year. What we've been able to do is build, build, and redo, the, redo the entire kitchen, and you know, and just uh, improve, you know, put um, you know insulation in the building and and address a lot of things that you know continue what Garrett was doing in terms of making the place a stable place and and the battle always of course is keeping the food good keeping the beer good and and uh, keeping the service good those are really the keys to it's one of the successful place one of the oldest bars yep. around yeah in, yep. in Buffalo yep. at least you yep. know and uh we encourage everybody to stop down yeah. there what are we drinking here yeah so um so I brought a uh, uh it's called a Keller beer Keller beer, which is a, an unfiltered, uh, naturally carbonated lager, Pilsner. Pilsner is a lager beer. And I also brought a, a, a porter, which is an ale. And like, mm-hmm. and that's still the same brewer that you hooked up with? Uh, Matt is, uh, uh, is not brewing now. We actually have um, Brian Gertzmeyer, who... Oh, okay. Whose parents, uh, actually, his mom is from the old first ward. He was my dishwasher for yeah. a long time. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, I got, a, yeah. I got a dishwashing story about him. Really? When we had the bar, yeah. I come in, and the one kid bartending goes, dude, who's the new kid? I go, what new kid? I go in there. He's cleaning up in the kitchen. Nobody uh, asked him to. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, he worked for free for like a couple months just because he wanted to learn. Yeah, to I yeah. heard that. And Matt taught. You know, I don't know how long it was. was staging, staging yeah. is what they would call. <laughs> okay, is that what it is? Yeah, it's good. yeah. So yeah, he, and he's you know he's he's good. He's young. He's a little cocky, I think. Um, um, but that adds a personality. I think that you definitely, need it. You definitely. Need it. And he's well. You know what? He's I couldn't say. You know, he's just, he's really up the level. He's learned a lot from Matt on brewing lagers. One of the things that impressed me about Matt when I first, you know, decided to go into business with him, he brewed some really good lagers in, in, down at Breckridge. So I was like, you know, this guy obviously knows how to brew. It's harder. It's harder to brew lagers. It takes longer. That's why most people don't make lagers or make, you know, so-so lagers because it, you, you need to lager them for 8 to 12 weeks after you make the beer. And the fermentation is slower too. So instead of you know, fermenting out in three to three to five days, it's, it takes two weeks. So you're talking about a 12 to 15 week beer, mm-hmm. and most places don't have that kind of space to put something in lager. They need to get it out and make money on it, which is why most brewers make ales because they're faster. What are some of the challenges being a small well, brew pub? <clears throat> um, I, I think pretty much I I mentioned yeah. the real keys. It's Constant. I'm actually. We have our meetings every Tuesday morning, and tomorrow I'm going in. I'm trying to deal with. We just had a beer that it's, that it got oxidized. And I think it was just not paying attention, keeping the quality. Because when you do something so, you know, often, you know, I, I had this discussion with my with Matt yesterday about this because he. I'm like, you know, for 25 years we did newspapers, and the first newspaper we did. We forgot the photo on the front cover. <laughs> it was a small little spot like this. And when we got the paper back, we were like, oh, shit. <laughs> it was supposed to be a photo there, right? Yeah. And so we started, we, okay, how do we avoid this? We did checklists. We had checklists. And people, uh, as you get, as you go longer and longer, people are like, oh, you know, you, you don't need that. I know how to do this, right? I know how to brew. I know how to cook. Well, you know, sometimes 
you just get distracted. You know, with cell phones nowadays, the phone yeah. rings, something happens, blah, blah, blah. You, you know, you just, you never know. So to me, it's always having that thing to, to, to it helped us build the newspapers and make them, make them better because we cut down on the number of spikes and it enabled us to go from one paper, wasn't that hard, but up to seven different newspapers. We, you, had to, you had to have a procedure for each one before it went out the door to make sure, and I'm sure anybody that runs a daily press or whatever would probably have that same yeah. you know, thing. They probably have that stuff we just learned learned on the fly. So, you know, doing that, keeping track, making sure your kitchen, you know, as kitchens are tough, you know, we we've been pretty lucky. We had a good we got a good crew in there now, but you know, just never know when one of them's going to wig out and then you're suddenly or not show up. We know up. about yeah. it. We know yeah. about yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mar- Marky's a, a back guy, a, a mm-hmm. front of the house guy and yeah. the one thing I would like to see is you got a gr- I did it the other day. You have a really good meal. Yeah. You take care of your wait staff, your bartender. Yeah. Leave us something for the cook. Yeah. I, I've mm-hmm. been doing that, yep. and uh, I was yes. actually at Mother's the other day, and oh, yeah. uh, a friend of mine is a cook in there. I uh-huh. bought him a beer. Oh, excellent. So, they yeah. give, you know, they, yeah. they give him the yeah. chip. He can yeah. have it after. No, that's a good idea, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a reminder. We do we try to tip out kitchen staff, especially when it's real busy now. It's been so slow. It's been tough, but yeah. they, even our, our servers are suffering. But, you know, you know we and they'll say there's just like – I don't know where they came up with this. My general manager, I don't know where she came up with this, but it's like, oh yeah, well you you leave three percent for for the for the um, the uh, hostess, like three percent. That's not very much, right? Uh, you get a hundred dollars tip, you just three dollars. I would think, you know, maybe yeah, ten dollars, yeah. better, right? Because you're right, because people, it's a team. It's really, it's a team. Right. And so you know, we meet, we talk about these every time, and it's just keeping that quality of beer up there, making sure you you know you do what's done, and and then you know services. Also yeah. good. I mean, you, you, you obviously, as you know, you get customers that are just morons and you know, mm-hmm. yeah. slap them. But generally, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite stories is Kaylee. She's one of our best servers. She's a very beautiful girl, and really nice and friendly. And, and you know, she's uh, she said she she was telling you this time she comes out of the kitchen, and um, the this woman calls her over. This woman and some men are sitting together, and she says, "Come here. Said, Put out your hands." She goes. She put her hand out, and the lady takes the the, the, pota- the potatoes and dumps them in her hand. <laughs> These are cold. Oh, Jesus, oh, man. right? Yeah. I'm like, what did you do? She said, I said, I'm sorry, and she walked out. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you know, that, he said the the husband was probably the embarrassed yeah. because that because he left was the big tip. From but, the yeah, yeah, exactly. You <laughs> yeah. Know, I'm like, what? That is like amazing, yeah. right? You know, those are the ones you want out of this. But I guess I got she got a good tip yeah. out of it because the husband was so embarrassed. And <laughs> in that in your business, it changes so much too. Like you probably have to cut back so much now, and then uh-huh. you have those days where you're really busy. And you're like, uh-huh. I wish we didn't cut back all yeah. this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, yeah. you can't find yeah. a middle or a medium. Yeah. No, and probably bl- right. boom beer. You that's probably right. make a recipe, and it's like the recipe is the recipe. It's not like that's I right. can cut this in half. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know, but I'm just thinking like. You're brewing a lot of beer still. You probably got to keep up with supply, demand. And that, yeah, that and that part. Yeah, generally, we you know we're always looking for new ingredients and stuff. And uh, but that's that comes down to it's the same with in the kitchen. I think it's like it could get monotonous, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the nice things about brew pubs, as opposed to say a production brewery, they have to brew the same thing all the time. Bam, there's no there's no you know creativity, and there's some creativity in terms of a new, a new beer every once in a while. Everything you know, if you go to New York Beer Project, they got a line of these unbelievable line of beers that like with every different fruit in the world on in there you know which is to me crazy but normally you want you want to get your you know want to get a hellas on we want to get a hellas we want to we want an ipa we want 
something either dark or porter or stout. You know, you got certain beers, and it can get monotonous making those beers, and that's where you got to be careful. You know, we just had one go bad. It was just, it's oxidized, so something went wrong, and it, it was like one of my favorites. It was a West Coast IPA, and I'm like, damn. I've been talking about it and boasting how it's coming. Next thing you know, yeah, <laughs> my partners are so We far. learned. Brian didn't tell you, did he? Yeah, we have a <laughs> he guy. fucked that one up. I'm like, oh, shit. Our guy at Community Beer Works, he's yeah. like, he's like, I went there, and you know, you think like, ah, you're brewing your beer, it's a glamorous job. He's like, it is just cleaning shit up. Yeah, that's right. He's like, cleaning. you are just yeah, a dog. Correct. Yes, He's definitely. like, it is not a glamorous no, job. He's it, like, no, yeah, right. it's cool when you're drinking your beer, but. That's right. That's right. And that's the good thing about that side. You know, it is. It's a lot of work, but in the end, you could, you get the reward of, I mean, how many people can you know walk off a assembly line and say that I made that car? You know, yeah, eh, not you're really, proud of it when you make can, it. That's right. You know? When you're a brewer, you can you can sit at the bar and take. It. And that's of course, then you, that's where you need a critic like me because <laughs> everybody's telling you how wonderful the beer is, and I'm like, all right, I got diastole. <laughs> okay, let's go out here. <laughs> it's good you're there. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> let's talk about nowadays. Okay. Four to a table, mm-hmm. not past ten. <clears throat> you are free to say whatever you would like. I mean, I I will add to it my opinions of it. Sure, I I, I don't I don't understand some of the regulations. I I mean, you know, we've had we we follow them. I mean, we had a party of five come in there in the same family, and one of them has to sit at a table opposite. It's, it doesn't make sense. They drove in the, here in the same car, right. so I don't get that. I understand where uh, a lot a lot of the regulations Regulations are formulated, as are many laws, uh, to um, deal with the worst, uh, you know, and, and people who who are not following the regulations. So they, you know, they cl- clamp down on everybody. You know, that's the whole thing. With, you know, one person can screw it for everybody else. So I get that part, but I don't think some of them are that on target. Um, the pandemic is something new besides 1918. So I see where I don't mind being a little more cautious. Um, sure. We were lucky enough that, you know, Congress saw the need to help small businesses. So we immediately applied for a loan to keep our staff on. And we were, you know, we used, we used that money to bring staff back what we really didn't need, but we had them painting. And they need. <laughs> doing, yeah. Yeah. Doing, redoing the bar and doing all sorts of chores. And they loved it because they were, you know, because they were earning money. So I think, I think hopefully we've learned something from this. I don't know what the 10 p.m. thing is either. I, I you know, we're not a late bar in general. So right. it doesn't hurt us as much. A lot of, we're usually by 10 o'clock, most people are heading out 11. We, we you know, we're, our bartenders can, are given permission if if it's really slow by eleven they can close, they don't have to call us or anything. Usually we try to stay open to midnight, um, and we we're not so we're not most of our customers are, I guess early sleepers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I it's certainly here in business. I mean, we've you know we've definitely um, lost a lot of revenue, and it's a and it's a and it's a business that there's a margin, and so when you lose a lot of business like that, the margins disappear yeah so we're holding even that's what we're doing right now we're just hanging in there we, we're lucky enough not to have huge uh, payments th- that are due you know we've been able to you know pay our our utilities bill and our and our what's left of our mortgage and <clears throat> and what we not you know i'd hate to be one of these highly leveraged breweries i was actually just before i left when i was get, filling up these beers um the brewer uh, carl from across the street he's a pressure drop owner was telling me that he just for the first time since February of uh, last year, he just um, did an order for more than 
for for two uh, pallets of uh, kegs, because you know with bars all being closed or, or slow, he's, he's knowing. He says everything yeah. he's got is going from cans, and he much he's it's more you know it's more work cans. He's got to pay the canner to come in because he doesn't have his own canner. So, and uh, he just loves the keg stuff because it's so much easier yeah. and it's his most profitable thing is the keg so you know he's all happy now that he's suddenly selling a lot more beer because places are opening back up are you <clears> allowed <throat> to sell the growlers still yes so. we, sell, we we sell well what we now sell is we sell crowlers which are the cans that you make there and that's a 32 ounce and then we fill growlers but we no longer buy the growlers right <clears> how long crowler. does a crowler last a couple of weeks oh, okay yeah you can, yeah, once you open it. You it oh, yeah, but yeah. If, if I were to buy one and put it in the fridge, a, couple, a week, a couple weeks. Oh, yep. okay. Yep. So the lawsuits. Yeah. I tell people all the time, uh-huh. you're putting a target on your back. Yeah. That mm-hmm. state liquor authority does not forget. They have Irish amnesia. Yeah. They don't yeah, yeah, forget yeah, anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. You know, and what are your feelings on that? I, I you know, we were never approached by it. We never really reached out to anybody to be a part of anything. <clears throat> I know that, like the day, it was like two days before um, the first shutdown. It was like March 16th, right? It was the day before St. Patrick's. Yeah. Well, that Saturday, uh, the March 16th was a Monday. Uh, sa- Saturday night was when the parade was supposed to be, and some people said, "Screw it, we're going to do the parade anyway." Yeah. So we were we were packed. Uh, so the Saturday, two days before they shut everything down, and some reporter came in and took a picture. Oh. It, and it was in the paper. Yeah, I remember. Jay McCarthy's blah, blah, blah. Everybody was, was like, looking I, through to see if yeah. they if they recognized that. Yeah, everybody. right. I you know, know exactly. I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, my partner never wants to subscribe again. You know, they're <laughs> like, screw them. But, you know, I, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, I, I feel fortunate that we've been able to keep it going yeah. and we've just my partner's got a good uh, another job that he's just you know he makes enough money to live on and and i've uh, used a couple of the properties that i own to rent out to people so i'm able Beautiful. to survive yeah, you just down good. you just downgrade your extradition i'm yeah. not traveling anymore that's that can get expensive so Definitely. you know that's expensive and I'm, I'm i'm going through all the frozen stuff that i have in my, my face, <laughs> yeah <laughs> eating it all well, instead you, of going down to recovering bistro and having a meal like i'd like to be doing yeah <laughs> but for a guy like you a pandemic <clears throat> with a, the writing and stuff that mm-hmm. probably didn't get you down you probably yeah. found another thing to write about yeah. then yeah 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 i've been yeah i've had more time without a doubt yeah it's, it's a battle between you know i i'm a, I'm a big reader so I got to keep forcing myself to get up there. The writing is the work, you know, because it's thirty plus years, and I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta get back to it. But when um, was your first book published, and what do you got coming up? <clears throat> Talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah, the first one was. Oh, good question. I didn't even have to look at the exact date, <laughs> exact date on this when it first came out. Michael Brood murder was the first one, and it's a murder that happens in a brewery uh, in 2016. That was when the first one came out, and uh, Talking Leafs, a small little uh, publisher out of um, Massachusetts. Uh, and after that, um, the next year, I had two more come out. Um, probably I self-published the Beer Diet book back in uh, like 2007 or eight or something like that. Um, and then the last one I did was uh, Beer Queendom, which was kind of a satire that Hopefully it won't get me in too much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it's not written in the first person. So, <laughs> and, and you can get all these books at uh, 
Dog ears. Dog ears he's books. Got, he's has got them, them here. Yep, he yep. sells them here. And I have a second uh, Microbird Murder one coming out um, and a second Queendom I'm working on now. And then I have two other products. I'm trying to uh, uh, get someone to publish the Testigo de Cerveza stories that I had written because uh, in doing the research in, into book publishers, I cannot find anyone that uh, will accept an unaged and unagented sub- submission uh, for a travel book. It seems like everyone okay. has to have an agent. So I'm like, okay. I kind of looked through them all, and none of them really fit what, what I do. And, and I read a lot of travel writing. That's my favorite, really my favorite reading source. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm trying to, I, I know I just have to find an agent, uh, you know, a New York City agent to try and see if I can promote that. And then, you know, the, the the craft beer confidentials, another one that's in the in the works. Seems like you got a lot of tools, though. Yeah. Know? So the, the, your resume must be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I just yeah, got I, a I just got a question. Sure. Text me. What are you going to do in March? Um. Because I, I mean, it, you're the mecca of. Yeah. yeah. St. Patrick's Day. We'll do what's allowed to do. Our 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 uh, general manager who runs the place pretty regularly is 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 careful to the point of paranoia. <laughs> she, I mean, we just don't want to get, you know, we don't want to get in any trouble. We know that after that, you know, piece of the paper, we were, you know, about, you know, the, the picture of all the people in the bar. We, we've had the SLA come by numerous times. They're once, they were nice enough. One time we had the flap clothes on. We have a tent outside. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that, that helps. Um, that's how we kind of get, getting through it. Mm-hmm. Cause when there was no dining inside, we have a 20 by 40 foot tent. We erected it over our beer garden. Um, uh, and so, um, we had, you have to have two sides open. So we had yeah. the two sides open and we had closed one off cause the wind was, was, was brutal. Yeah. And the wind was blowing through there, but <laughs> they came by and they said, look, we're not going to find you or anything, but how about open a, that window back up or open that door. So we, how about a long beer garden on the train tracks? You know, I'm Separate not, yeah, we talked about that. We talked about or using the parking lot across the street. And yeah. But again, you have to apply for uh, licenses for that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, LA. We actually talked to them about the possibility and they were of using it without any license. And they said, no, you have to have a license. Do they we said, look, this should be an exception. We, we can't go inside. Everything's closed. Can't we? have something outside and they're like well no you have to get it licensed so our parking lot because we were talking about using our parking lot for that well you just call up the OFW boys yeah. they, they just block <laughs> off the street no yeah. one's going to be it, getting down there yeah it's not a street actually yeah Sign right says, this is not a street yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well hopefully everybody gets back to their bad habits yeah. and they start going right. back to bars that's and, what we hope you know <laughs> that's what yeah. we hope yeah, yeah. We hope everybody gets their yes. bad habits back. exactly I mean it's something else but we're gonna have to mm-hmm. get through it and uh, get yeah. creative. And you're a creative yeah. guy, so yeah. I'm sure that you've you've been doing well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, the outside helped us, like I said. Yeah. And we were, I mean, but we had to lay off most of our staff. Sure. You know, because we had like one person doing work in the bar and the floor, except on Fridays we, because our fish fries are so big, and then one person in the kitchen. So, <clears throat> so that's you know, it's hurt our staff. You know, we're, we're, we've brought them back now with the indoor. We've we've brought back pretty much everybody that wants to, um, but still they're not. You know, it's a slower time, so <clears throat> they're not earning as much money as they could. And, you well, know, that's important for them. I'll stick up for those guys, too. Uh, a lot of these uh, area politician hacks that all oh, the small business, small business. I think what they're forgetting is the guy that works in the small business, yeah. the bartender, the hostess, mm-hmm. the waitress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be really when this does unlock <laughs> and guys want to sit down, 
it's going to be interesting to see what these people charge these guys for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, you're a big neighborhood guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Because yeah. I know what Cough my prices up. are. Yeah, exactly. That's good. But, uh, Bill, uh, we're glad that Tommy uh, hooked us up with yeah. you. And, yeah, same uh, here. It, it's a, a great, uh, great story. And uh, Bill Metzger, you are now licensed to talk. Thanks for stopping by, buddy. All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Right. Thank you.